1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35, Matthew 19, 11 to 12. Let's give our attentive listening to the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, as we dive into it now, Lord, would you give us wisdom in uh, hearing your truth and uh, ingesting it in our souls and finding how uh, it is life-giving, uh, how it guides us, how it brings us good news uh, of great joy. Uh, and Lord, as a result, conform us more and our lives more uh, to your Son. And we pray in his name. Amen. So as we come to the last few passages uh, or messages in our series, In Pursuit of a Healthy Church, I thought it'd be helpful and important for us to um, address the topics of singleness, dating, and marriage. Uh, partly because the Bible has relevant things to say about these um, life stages. Sometimes more directly, sometimes more indirectly. And that's so that we as Christians can discern how to walk through these stages wisely um, as we enter these seasons. Another reason being this, that it's vital for the church to understand how to interact lovingly with those who are in different life stages. Uh, and for us to therefore uh, live out uh, compassionate neighboring with those who are living out different callings in our own. The married, uh, they need to understand the singles and their struggles better and speak more lovingly and, and understandingly uh, to them and about them. Singles also need to uh, understand the married better and understand their struggles and speak more lovingly, understandingly to them and about them. And understanding each other this way is important in creating a healthy relational culture in, in any church. So starting this week, we'll consider these life stages and look at them more topically and uh, systematically from the scriptures. And we'll start with singleness. There's a college pastor named uh, Sammy Rhodes uh, who ministers to a lot of singles given that he's on campus. Uh, I really love the way he outlined his talk on singleness. I'm going to borrow his outline without trying to reinvent the wheel. He, he presents um, singleness through these three biblical lenses that I found were very helpful. Three biblical lenses or three biblical perspectives. And they are blessing, calling, and kingdom. Uh, he asks us to reimagine, try to reimagine singleness through the lens of blessing, calling, and kingdom. 
Why? Why reimagine it? Well, because for the longest time, we have imagined singleness through the lens of our culture, our parents, our peers, through the lens of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, uh, through the lens of say yes to the dress, through the lens of Instagram couples. He's inviting us to reimagine it, as scripture is doing, reimagine singleness through the lens of scripture instead, because that's going to make all the difference. Uh, Who's authoring your story and therefore defining the meaning of singleness and how that fits into your story? Is it is it a protagonist or is it a villain? Uh, it, it really depends on who is authoring your story. So let's try to reimagine this story through the lens of uh, scripture and looking at it, looking at singleness as a blessing, as a calling, and from the perspective of God's kingdom. All right, so first, looking at singleness through the lens of blessing. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, singleness is presented to us as this gift that comes with this unique ability and capacity to be unburdened by worldly anxieties. Um, that, that just means you can focus more on serving God and serving your neighbors uh, with more ac- active diligence. Uh, and therefore, it is a blessing. Therefore, it is a gift. Uh, you can utilize it for the better. It makes you better, not worse. Um, how countercultural is that? Um, it's extremely <laughs> countercultural uh, because our culture, here's the, here's the reason. Uh, our culture is very bad at distinguishing, discerning the difference between singleness and loneliness. Uh, it, they're almost indistinguishable um, when you look at it through our uh, culture's lens. A, a cultural sort of icon or symbol that comes to my mind when I try to view singleness through the cultural lens is um, Princess Fiona from one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Shrek. Uh, singleness is Princess Fiona. Uh, you're just locked up. You're, you're locked up in the highest tower. You're stuck. You're awaiting your, your knight in shining armor to come and slay the dragon, the dragon of loneliness, and rescue you and marry you and give you your, your, your happily ever after. Singleness, until then, is a curse. The, a curse that can only be broken uh, when this knight in your, uh, your knight in shining armor comes and rescues you. Um, you see this in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, uh, the beast is beastly until he's no longer single. Uh, you see that in Snow White. Uh, you see in all the classic tales, the problem with loneliness always seems to be tied with the problem with singleness. And so, so your life is problematic, your life is unfulfilled as long as you're single. You will always be lonely as long as you're single until someone comes along and sweeps you off your feet um, until you're no longer single. Uh, but otherwise, you'll be lonely. Why is this the case? Why do people in our culture think of singleness as such a curse um, as, and, and the almost the sole cause of our loneliness. One possible answer to that might be tradition and, and, and the customs that we were kind of brought up in. So if you are raised in a culture that finds the nuclear family uh, to be the symbol of honor and wellness and achievement, I mean, it's, it's what everything has been building up to, your, your GPA, college entrance, 
good job. It's been building up to this, right, at the mountaintop. It's a nuclear family. If, if that's the story that you've been raised in, um, well, then, then the only good ending to your story is that you're no longer single. Uh, in that story, the conflict is loneliness and your villain is your singleness. You also have this more, more modern day problem of living in a hyper-sexualized culture uh, where every relational need and emotional longing is packaged with, with eros. Um, and and so, so the answer to our deep sense of estrangement being unknown or unfulfilled seems to be uh, uh, lacking in romance. Um, not, they're not being a, a, a erotic relationship despite all the platonic relationships you may have. Um, and therefore, if you're single, you're ultimately unfulfilled. If you're single, you're ultimately incomplete in a very hyper-sexualized culture. Now the question is, is this true? Is our culture diagnosing the human condition accurately and therefore prescribing What's, what's good for us? Before we even get into the, the Bible, I think we know intuitively, intuitively, it's wrong. It's not true. The cultural diagnosis is not true. When my seven-year-old daughter, uh, when she expresses that she is feeling lonely, when she expresses her struggle with loneliness, what do you suggest that I say to her as a way of counseling her. I am pretty sure, I hope, none of you will say, put her on a dating app. Um, or just tell her slowly one day uh, you will be old enough to get on the dating app. Uh, you would instead encourage her to find comfort in friends, school friends, or her siblings, or her parents. God, even. Uh, what, if, what if our uh, uh, grandparents are struggling with loneliness? What if my grandmother in her 80s is struggling with loneliness? What, what should I say to her to console her? Would any of you suggest that I should encourage her to be, to be married again? That there's your hope, Grandma. If you want to resolve your loneliness, go get married again. I don't think you'll say that. Why? Because intuitively we know romance, marriage are not kind of this silver bullet that, that we, we can all use to kill all forms of loneliness. We know intuitively that's not true. Despite what our culture may tell us, that is not the case. Neither does the Bible. The Bible never presents romance, marriage as solutions to loneliness. That's partly because in the Bible, singleness is not a curse. <laughs> Uh, it's not a sickness to be cured. It's a gift. Is loneliness a problem? Yes. Singleness? No. And without scripture, it's very hard to make that distinction in our culture today. Here's a helpful quote from a counselor named Jane Clark. Uh, she said, quote, It is important to realize that singleness is not the cause of loneliness. Does that surprise you? It may seem counterintuitive because loneliness seems to be the result of not having an intimate partner with whom to share your life. But loneliness is actually caused by something more basic to our existence. It is caused by sin, by mankind's original sin against God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, by our estrangement from God and each other. This explains why married people, even happily married people, can still feel lonely. 
Remember, it was a married couple who first experienced loneliness. God did say it is not good for Adam to be alone, but that's not because he was lonely. He needed community, relationships. Those are essential. Marriage? No. Uh, The first experience of loneliness and shame, this shame in feeling misunderstood or unseen or unknown, it came out of a marital relationship. It came out of marriage. Uh, that's an interesting point she's making here. Uh, it wasn't a single person who felt loneliness first. It was a married couple. So from Genesis, right from the very beginning, uh, God dispels this, this false notion that humanity's problem of loneliness gets resolved with a wave of a marriage wand. Um, simply not true. Marriage does not solve the problem. In fact, in fact um, some studies show marriage can accentuate the problem, accentuate the problem of loneliness. Why? Partly because now that you're married, right? Uh, now that you have someone in your life, there's an even greater expectation on you to not feel lonely ever again. Even more pressure to not feel lonely. And bearing that burden uh, of never feeling misunderstood, never feeling unknown, never feeling rejected, that's a lonely burden to bear. So no, marriage, romance is not the answer to our loneliness. Um, Loneliness is caused by uh, sin, not singleness. It is our estrangement from God, not from a romantic partner. So God's answer to to this problem, the spiritual problem of sin for Adam, uh, was not Eve. And and Eve's solution to the problem uh, was not Adam. Uh, It was God's gospel of grace. The good news that God, by his grace, clothes us in our shame. He clothed Adam with that slain animal skin, the animal garment, which is foreshadowing Jesus, the Lamb of God, who will be slain for us in order to cover us in our shame and to justify us so that there will be no distance between us and God and, and so that we would be brought near to God. We would not be estranged from him. We would never be alone without him. Um, He came to cure us of our loneliness by his nearness, his intimacy, his love, and his grace, knowing that apart from God, we will always feel this estrangement, always feel like something's missing, whether you're married or single, always feel incomplete, always feel a hint of loneliness. Grace is our answer to our loneliness, grace drawing us so intimately close to the one who, who made us, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, to draw close to that, that maker. Um, and when grace enters our story and being drawn near to God becomes our lives, our existence, and, and our purpose, uh, then, then we can begin to reimagine singleness reconceptualize singleness. Finally, it's not something that needs to be attached to the curse of loneliness. But instead, uh, singleness can be seen as a blessing. Well, how? 1 Corinthians 7 is a good place to start uh, when it comes to the blessing or the gift of singleness. It's this famous passage where Paul says the unmarried are free from many anxieties and, and he even kind of flips it around and says the unmarried get to, they get to be anxious or occupied about the things of the Lord how to please him. And that is to say that singles do have this greater capacity to serve their God and bless others with the resources 
and talents that God's given them. Therefore, it is a gift. Okay, what does that look like in real life? Here, maybe a couple of tangible, few tangible examples that I want to present to you, just three. Um, three tangible places where the gift of singleness really can be evidenced um, are areas of your time, your gifts, and your money. When it comes to your time, your gifts, your money, when you're single, you absolutely have a greater capacity to maximize them, invest them, and bless others through them. Bless more people through them. Take time, for example. Um, we can have all the desire in the world to, to grow in, in um, our discipleship, grow in our community and our fellowship, but without time, without availability, it's incredibly difficult to cultivate that. Uh, it's, it's much easier to invest in community discipleship while you're single and therefore essential that you invest in these things while you are unmarried. Uh, take gifts or talents, for example. Uh, when you are single, you are freer to explore what your gifts actually are and really hone in on those gifts. Even change course and look for something else if it's not as suitable to you as you thought it'd be. You can... You can kind of take your gift vehicle and go anywhere and go 80 miles per hour down the highway of life, right? Uh, Not so when you're married. Less so when you're with children. The the development and investment in your gifts go from 80 miles per hour on the highway to cruising at about 25 miles per hour in the suburbs with a lot of stop signs and speed bumps along the way. And... And fair enough, too, because, because you're going 80 miles per hour in a different, on a different highway, the family one, the, the, the marital one, and you're, you're developing different gifts, gifts as parents and gifts as spouses. Right. But not in your individual gifts. This is something uh, we always address when we do our, our pre-engagement counseling for our dating couples. We always ask this question, are you ready to prioritize your relationship over your career path? Because that's a very telling sign of the maturity of your relationship. Um, does your relationship come first? Or does your studies or your career path come first? Um, if you're unsure about that, you kind of have a yellow light here in terms of whether you can continue advancing in your relationship. Uh, you need to kind of put a slight break on your relationship and reconsider what are our priorities and is it leading us in the same direction or unknowingly. Uh, we may be emotionally and physically becoming more and more one, but directionally we may not be. Right? And that's a very important thing to discern while you are um, dating, but that's next week. Um, Lastly, money. Uh, I heard it this way. The typical question that married couples or parents ask about money is, where did our money go? What happened to the money? Whereas singles have the benefit of being able to ask, where can my money go? Uh, you have more control in how you allocate your money for it to go to things that are not tied directly to your sustenance or the sustenance of people who depend on you. You can support more people, more causes with your money when you're single. So these are just three simple examples in in, in time gives money to show you when the Bible says singleness is a gift, it, it really means it. It is not uh, platitude. It is not a pat answer to, to tell uh, singles, don't feel so bad about your loneliness. It's not patronizing single people. The blessings of singleness are real. They're evidential. They're tangible. And you should, if you are single, understand it and appreciate that. And even give thanks for that. It's a blessing.
It's a gift. Now, of course, having said that, right, there's an important um, balance we have to strike here. And, and it's important, even as we learn this, that we don't, at the same time, invalidate all the, the struggles that singles do experience in life because of their singleness. Cultural pressures, parental pressures, peer pressures, feeling unknown, unseen, unwanted, rejected, uh, feeling like an outlier among nuclear families at family reunions, um, an outlier in church programs even that's geared towards families and married couples. Um, these are struggles that the, the married need to be aware of and be attentive to be sensitive about whenever they interact uh, in, with, with people who are single. To better see them, better understand them, and better listen to them uh, and draw near to them. So that's the task given to us who are married, to see them in their struggles, not just simply in uh, the, the blessings they have that we no longer have anymore. And at the same time, singles, it's, it's also true that these struggles you have, they do not invalidate your blessings. Um, just as the challenges of marriage don't invalidate the, the blessings of marriage. Um, same goes for singleness. And so our, our language about both should be balanced in this way. Uh, holding the, the ups and downs in, in a healthy sort of realistic tension uh, and, and avoiding the mistake of comparing the upside of marriage with the downside of singleness or the upside of singleness with the downsides of marriage. So married, be sensitive to the struggles that singles face and acknowledge that there are unique struggles that the gospel must address for them, not marriage. Don't give them false hope in, oh, when you get married, all your problems will go away. We know that's not true, married people, right? We know, as a matter of fact, that is not the case. So let's not give them false hope in that. Let's give them the good news, the gospel of grace. At the same time, singles, acknowledge that your season of singleness is a blessing. It is a gift. And, and hold on to this tension of enjoying the gift that God has given you and also knowing that on this side of heaven, trials and tribulation come with any season, with any exercise of any gifts, comes trials and hardships. Okay. All right. That's number one. Here's point number two. Seeing singleness through the lens of calling. A simple point here is not everyone's called to be married. Let's start with that. Uh, as basic as that sounds, it's a truth we don't think enough about. The Bible does not call everyone to marriage and doesn't assume that everyone's fit to be married or called to be married. Marriage is not essential to our salvation. Marriage is not even essential to our sanctification, our holiness. Relationships, yes. Marriage, no. And when you really let that sink in, like really, then you can begin to really consider, maybe for the first time in your life, might I be content? Might it be possible for me to be satisfied in intimate friendships and, and gain a deep sense of community without being married to a member of that community? Without having children? Without creating a nuclear family of my own? Even though your culture and your peers and maybe your parents may not give you this 
as a viable alternative way of living a meaningful and full life? Scripture does. God's Word does. And you should understand that and find some comfort in that. You're not getting an email or a phone call from God every holiday or Thanksgiving. Are you bringing someone over? God's not doing that with you, singles. Some are called. Some are not. That's the reality. Here's the other thing to consider as well when it comes to the calling of singleness. If in your mind you're thinking, well, singleness sounds really hard and sounds like it's going to be a real struggle for me. And if, if, I, if I am called to it, however, if, if God has given me this gift of singleness, shouldn't, shouldn't it feel relatively easier? No. Uh, just because you are struggling with something does not mean you are not called to it. I struggle a lot. I struggle hard as a parent. Uh, does that mean I'm not called to be a parent? And therefore, this afternoon, I should drop my kids off at an orphanage? <laughs> Sorry, kids. I realized if I was really called to be your dad, I wouldn't struggle this much. Does that work? No. The encouragement is look to God's grace more in your struggle and have him strengthen you and sustain you through that struggle, right? True story. <laughs> That's me as a parent. So, so singles, um, be, just because you're struggling as a single, it does not mean you're not called to it. But it, what it could mean is that you need to turn to God's grace more and have him sustain you through that struggle better. So it's a mistake to think that if God has given you a calling to be single, then the, the struggles of singleness will just bounce off of you like bullets bounce off of Superman. No, that's not, that's not reality. Okay. You could still be genuinely called to something that you struggle in. Here's something else. Jesus. Uh, Jesus was, in a sense, called right, to be the quintessential perfect human being for us. And yet he wasn't married. The most sanctified, holiest human being who ever lived did not go through the school of sanctification in marriage. What? Uh, let's be careful here, right, therefore, in suggesting to single people that their real test of maturity comes with marriage and blaspheme the Lord, <laughs> right? Um, as if to suggest well, since I went through the school of sanctification in marriage, I'm more mature than Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't know what it's like. To, right? Let's not even go there. Let's not treat the, the singles as if that's JV and married. Oh, that's spiritual varsity, right? Or uh, spiritually, like if you're single, you're in community college. And if you're married, you're in the Ivy Leagues. The scriptures does not, Jesus, if, he, if that's what he wanted to teach us, he would have gotten married, he would have had children, created a nuclear family, and said, follow after me, do that. He didn't do that. He did not do that. The happiest human being who ever lived, the, the, the person who lived the most meaningful life ever in the history of humanity was single. All right? So the call to be single could very well be a call to be Christ-like in this manner. 
not to be less Christ-like, not to, not to live this incomplete, unfulfilled life, but to live even more like Christ. Here's something else I'd like you to consider about calling as well. Um, while the typical sort of modern way of talking about calling is volitionally choosing something, right? choosing into something, biblically, um, calling is not merely volitional, but it is divinely given. Uh, a calling is more given than it is chosen. And, and that's more genuine in a sense because in that case, you understand that your calling is actually coming from a caller who's not you. So it's a genuine calling that you're receiving and, and it's not simply choosing. This is what Jesus, I think, is talking about partly in, in Matthew 19. It's a very interesting passage where, where he says, not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those whom it is given. It's not something you may choose. It may not be chosen for you, but it is given to you nevertheless. And he says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And here, eunuchs aren't simply the kind that we commonly think of today, you know, in those like K-dramas based in ancient times, you know, the, the eunuchs that serve in the king's palace or something like that. Because here Jesus talks about eunuchs who are even born this way. Uh, their calling was not chosen, it was given, wasn't it? Uh, what does it mean that they were born so from birth? It's not specified. It could mean anything that prevents someone from being married and having children. It could be something genetic. It could be a birth defect. It could be something related to one's orientation. We don't know for sure. What we do know is, in this context, eunuchs were minorities. You might even call them sexual minorities in an overwhelmingly traditionalistic, nuclear family-driven culture. And what's fascinating here is that Jesus mentions them explicitly and brings our attention to such people for us to see them, acknowledge their presence in our midst without trying to fix them. He acknowledges them in the community of God's people, gives us an understanding about them without prescribing how they can change and no longer be eunuchs. How they can somehow assimilate into the traditionalistic nuclear family. No, the instructions here are not given to them, it's given to us who must welcome them in. Those who have no desire to be married, therefore choose to live a life of celibacy or no ability, no capacity to be married, even with a desire. While choosing to, to refrain from sexual intimacy outside the context of marriage because that's what God commands in the seventh commandment. To see such people as having an equally honorable, dignified place in God's kingdom. They're not second class citizens in the kingdom of God because they don't have a marriage or a family. And whether that calling is given to them or chosen into, right, we must understand uh, who they are, see them for who they are, welcome them in for who they are. In church, I really hope we grow in this area. 
in, in welcoming into our community, into our fellowship, those who have this divine calling that's sometimes given, not chosen. Those who are in the minority, whether it's by birth or by choice, for them to be seen here, for them to be heard, um, for them to be known without, without getting this pressure from us to fix them. Without pressuring them to conform to the majority trend, whatever that might be, as if they must have a nuclear family to really fit in here. But still loved, still honored, still respected as people with non-traditional yet still gospel-centric testimonies worth celebrating here. I hope we can invite them in and welcome them in just as Jesus is. Okay, make room for people whose calling to singleness is given, uh, not always chosen. Finally, just briefly, uh, let's look at singleness also through the lens of God's kingdom. Um, You know, singleness is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it dawned on me not too long ago that, you know, one day I may be single again in my late years, right? Because spouses don't always pass away together, right? So um, singleness is something that returns to you. Uh, And you don't get to really dictate how long the season of singleness is how long your season of marriage is, is something we don't have control over. And I know that that adds to our level of uncertainty and insecurity as a result of that, especially if you're single. You, you, know, you don't know right, how long this season of singleness will be. right? But in the midst of that, here's what I want to encourage you with. Uh, let's try to major in what we do know. Let's, let's not major in what we don't know. Let's major in what we do know. And what we do know is that we are all called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, single or married. We know that. You're called to his salvation, that's for sure. Uh, You're called to be forgiven and adopted by God's grace into God's community, that's for sure. You're called to serve this community with love, that's also for sure. If you've received this call to be a kingdom citizen, then, then you're a disciple. And here's the thing, uh, singleness and marriage, they're, at this point, just adjectives. Adjectives for the disciples of Christ. You're either a single disciple or a married disciple, but you're a disciple. And your call is the same, to deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow Jesus. How are you doing that? Let's major in that. What is certain about our calling? And, and not dwell too long, too much, on what is uncertain, what is merely an adjective to our identity. Uh, Your noun is disciple. So singles, uh, understand that. The most important truth about your life is that you are no longer estranged from God, not estranged from a romantic partner. You're no longer estranged from God, your maker. And you've been adopted into his his kingdom, his family. By his grace, you're being brought back in. And this is true only because your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered the estrangement and the loneliness outside the city gate that you and I deserved. So that we will never be estranged, we will never be lonely in God's eternal kingdom. He suffered your loneliness, so you'll never be lonely forever. 
And now as people who believe that, the question, the definitive question in your life is not, is no longer, am I following the married people into marriage? The definitive question in your life is, are you following Jesus into his kingdom and his mission? And in doing that, you find all the meaning, all the fulfillment, all the beauty you need for your life. To know that my life is complete in Christ, know that my my life's purpose is made complete in Christ, and know that my life's mission is complete in Christ. I have all that I need in Christ. Married folks, if you want to encourage singles, encourage them with that. Let's not give them these silly pad answers like, you know, one day the right person will come along. I had a dream that you got married and you if, you, if you've said that, please apologize. <laughs> uh, let's give them the gospel hope, the grace that draws us near to God, that does away with our loneliness. Let's give them the gospel, the same gospel you give yourself when you experience loneliness, even in marriage. The answer is grace, not marriage. In that sense, the answer is our marriage, our union uh, with Christ. Let's fix our eyes on him single or married, let's fix our eyes on Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, would you, uh, would you help us um, discern the blessings that come with the season of singleness and see it through uh, your lens, see it as a blessing, see it as a calling, um, see it as uh, a part of the, the story that you are writing for your kingdom people. Um, Lord, would you also draw nearer to those who are uh, suffering and, and in need of your comfort and help them to find their hope, find their uh, solution, find their resolution, not in man, uh, not in uh, earthly marriage, uh, but in their Lord and Savior who, who currently has prepared a wedding feast for them, to welcome them home uh, into eternal acceptance, an eternal union, an eternal marriage uh, to him. Uh, Lord, would you turn all of our eyes to you this way, and Lord, help us to be uh, a, an encouraging church, compassionate church, um, that know how to speak understandingly and think understandingly about those who are in different life stages and seasons. Um, forgive us for our mishaps. Uh, help us improve in this area, mature us in this area, so that, Lord, uh, we continue to build a church into the likeness of Christ. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.